Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter 7. Romans, chapter 7, if you're not already familiar with this chapter, Romans, chapter 7, is all about the law, about how Christians should relate to the law, how the law relates to our sin, how complicated and complex sometimes our relationship to the law can be. And the reason Paul brings up the law here is because something of something he said back in chapter 6 that he almost snuck in there. Now, he wasn't being sneaky. It was right out in the open. But I suspect that most of us didn't really catch or think much about what Paul said back in chapter 6 and verse 14, when at the end of the verse he says, You are not under law, but under grace. Now, what is significant about that statement? Did that statement land on you the way that it should have uh, when we were looking at those verses? We didn't say a whole lot about it at the time, because Paul didn't say a whole lot about it at the time. But it's such a significant statement that Paul has come back to it in chapter 7 and said, in effect, we need to talk about this a little bit more. We need to talk about this at length. I need to explain to you what this means. When he says that we are not under the law, he means if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you are not under the law. And you might be thinking, as you're thinking about that, you might be thinking, well, surely that doesn't really mean we're not under the law. Surely that doesn't, I mean, he can't be saying that I'm not under the authority of the law of Moses. Or surely he's not saying that we, can he be saying that the Ten Commandments, that we're not bound to those? Can he be saying that? Surely he can't be saying that. Maybe he's saying that. What is he saying when he says we are not under the law? What he's saying when he says we're not under the law is that the law is not your master. The law is not your boss. It is no longer your authority. You are no longer under the dominion of the law. And that includes the law of Moses. That includes the Ten Commandments. Now before you get carried away in the other direction... He's not saying you don't have a boss. You are still under authority. You're no longer under the authority of the law, but you are still under the authority of Christ. Just because you're not under the law anymore doesn't mean that you can do what you want or go whatever way that you want. You have been set free from the law, Paul is going to say, so that you can be truly fruitful. Because as long as you and I were under the law, we were not able... To bear the kind of fruit that God wants us to bear. As long as you try to live under the law, as long as you are under the Old Testament system, the Old Covenant, you're going to have a hard time doing what the law says to do. Maybe some of you, before you were uh, saved, maybe you had a period in your life where you, you tried to really be a good person. You weren't a Christian yet, but you thought to yourself, I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to live a life that pleases God. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to do what God says. How'd that work out for you? Were you able to do it? A lot of times, 
Well, when, we, when, you, when somebody tries to do that, one of two things usually ends up happening. One is you fail spectacularly and you know it. The other one is you think you're doing pretty good and then you start to look down on everybody else and you get proud, which is also a spectacular failure because pride is one of the chief sins that God speaks against in the scripture. So we know that if we try to keep the law on our own, outside of Christ, we just can't do it. It's not possible. But we know that God expects us to live a life of righteousness and holiness and godliness. So how can we do that? How can we live a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness when trying to keep the law outside of Christ doesn't work. And now we do belong to Christ and we're not under the law. Where is that going to lead? And so Paul is asking and answering for us a very weighty question, which is, what is your relationship as a Christian to the law, to the law of Moses, to the law that God gives us in the Old Testament. Let's look at Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. will be our focus this morning. I'll read those verses for us, and then we'll see what Paul has to say to us about this weighty and important subject. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a person, excuse me, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul begins here by saying that death ends our obligation to the law. And Paul begins by saying, do you not know? Don't you know? And unfortunately, often when Paul asks that question, we, we have to say, no, uh, we don't. Or I hadn't really thought about it before. He asked the same question uh, back in chapter 6. Right? Don't you know right, that those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Well, no, I hadn't really thought about that before. Here he says, don't you know... That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. This is a principle that he expects his original hearers to understand, that he expects us to understand. He says there in the middle of that verse, 
I'm speaking to those who know the law, probably meaning the Jews in the congregation there at Rome who would have been intimately acquainted with the principles of the Old Testament law, but also the God-fearing Gentiles who were probably a part of that congregation, those Gentiles who would attend the synagogue, who hadn't become full Jews, but were attracted to Judaism, attracted to the Old Testament um, uh, ethic and, and uh, monotheism, the belief in only one God. So he expects most of those who are listening to this letter being read out in church to be people who are acquainted with and knowledgeable about the Old Testament law. And that ought to be true of most of us as well. If we spent most of our time in church, when we've read the Bible, and we've been a Christian for any length of time, though we may not consider ourselves Old Testament scholars or anything, we should have a pretty good understanding of how the Old Testament law works. And Paul says here uh, that the principle he wants us to be thinking about at this moment is that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So once you die, the law no longer has any power on you. Now, before we go any further, if you've been uh, following along with us in chapter 6, that ought to start ringing some bells in your mind when Paul says the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives because his main point in chapter 6 was when you believed in Jesus you were joined to Christ and joined him in his death when you were baptized which is the uh, the, the, the sign, the symbol of your conversion Your baptism pictures the fact that you have joined Christ in his death as you are lowered into the water. It pictures the fact that you have also, in a sense, joined Christ in his resurrection as you've been raised to new life and will one day join him in bodily resurrection at his return. He says in uh, verse 6 of chapter 6 that our old self was crucified with Christ. And so when Paul says here in chapter 7, hey, you know, right? That if you die, that the law is no longer binding on you. He wants us to be thinking already, I have died. So if I've died with Christ, what does that mean about my relationship to the law now? Now that I've died with Christ, now that I belong to Christ. Before he spells that out for us, he gives us an illustration in verse 2 and 3 of this principle that the law is no longer binding on someone once he dies. And the illustration he gives us is of a marriage. So if a man and a woman are married, the law of marriage says that the husband and wife are bound to one another as long as they're both alive, right? And if one of them, here Paul highlights the woman, but it could just as easily be the man, if one of them takes up with another person and starts living with them as though they are married to them when they're not, then that person will be guilty of adultery, right? So if a wife gives herself to a man who's not her husband, she becomes an adulteress. But Paul says, if the same situation happens, but her husband has died, right? So if her husband has died, she gives herself to another man that she's not an adulteress. Because you can only commit adultery if you have a spouse. And if your spouse has died, you don't have a spouse anymore, right? You're no longer bound in marriage. That's why in our marriage vows we say, till death do us part, 
right? Once one partner dies, we are released from those vows. So that's why Paul says in verse 3, Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. That's his point. She is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Right? So that's Paul's way of illustrating this principle, right? That the law is only binding on us as long as we live. Now, the marriage illustration seems a little confusing at first because the person who's free from the law is not the person that died, right? The person who's free from the law is the wife. So why did he, why did he pick an illustration like marriage where uh, the one who is actually free from the law is the one who didn't die? Well, the reason why he picks an illustration like that is because the husband is free from the law of marriage too, but he's dead, so he can't marry anybody else anyway. Right? But it's, marriage is one of the few situations where when somebody dies and is free from the law, it also frees somebody else who is still living and can still act. Right, And so the woman uh, is freed from the law of marriage because her husband died, and she's still alive and able to act on that law. Most, in most circumstances, the person who's freed from the law is not here anymore, right? And so it's sort of a moot point. But Paul is going to be talking in a moment about our spiritual death with Christ and our new spiritual life, right? So we are still alive and free to act. Marriage was just sort of the closest analogy he could draw from that. Now, his point here is not about marriage, right? His point here is about the law. But it's worth saying since we're here and since Paul brings it up, it's worth saying this is why we say that it is okay for people to remarry once their spouse has died. That is not a transgression of the law. It is not inappropriate. It is not wrong. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. That's Paul, again, that's not Paul's focus here, but Paul does bring it up, right? This is how the law works. The law is only binding on you as long as you live. Okay, so that's the principle. How does it apply to us? <clears throat> that's verse 4. He says, likewise, so similar to this illustration of marriage I've just given you, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So you've died through the body of Christ because as Christ died on the cross, right, and you have been joined to Christ, you have shared in his death, you've been crucified here with Christ, your old self has been put to death. With Christ, in his death, in a somewhat mysterious way, right, this is a spiritual reality that we can't, you, know, you can't really draw a picture of it. You can't really witness it, but we know it happened, right? That you have been crucified with Christ. And so he says, because you have died with Christ, you have died to the law. The law is no longer binding on you. Because once you die, you are free from the law, and you have died, and so you are free. 
You are free from the law. Now, why would you want to be free from the law? You know, that might sound almost like a bad thing at first, right? And it does make some people nervous, right? If you tell them, we see Paul wrestle with this kind of thing in his teaching. There were people who were probably saying to Paul, if you tell them that they're free from the law, you know what they're going to do. They're going to go out and break the law. If you tell people that they are justified by faith and not by works, they're not going to do any good works. They're going to do whatever they want to do. People were afraid that this gospel of justification by faith, this gospel of being united to Christ in his death, and thereby being free from the law, they were afraid that that was going to lead people into immorality. It's going to give them an excuse to go live however they want. But that's not how the gospel works. That's not how this works. Look at what Paul says. Verse 4, again, he says, You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. And what's the point of that? So that, this is the purpose, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Now that's, you can't really see it um, in our translation, but in Paul's original language, in his original wording, that is exactly the same thing that he said at the end of verse 3 about the woman whose husband had died who marries another man. Once her husband has passed away, she is free to belong to another man. She's free to marry another man. Paul says, you too, you died with Christ so that you've died to the law, so that you are free to belong to, so that you're free to marry another, namely Jesus. So you only have one master, right? You only have one husband. You only belong to one person or thing at a time. And Paul says before, you were bound to the law. You were married to the law. It's not a very happy marriage. We'll see more of that later in chapter 7. It's not a good marriage. But you didn't have a choice, right? You were bound to the law, but now you have died and you have uh, been set free from the law so that now you can be married, so to speak, to Christ. So that you can belong to Christ. And that is going to be a good marriage. It's going to be a fruitful marriage. It's going to be a healthy, happy marriage. So you uh, have died to the law so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, that's Jesus, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, you can imagine the Jews saying, I'm pretty sure you can bear fruit for God under the law. Isn't that the point of the law? And the point of the law to help us bear fruit for God? And part of what Paul is going to say later on in this chapter is, and, and even here in a moment, when you're under the law, it seems like you ought to be able to bear fruit for God, but you don't. And you can't. It, it's, it's not productive. It's not fruitful. The law does not have the power to produce in you the fruit that God requires, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on. That's not how it actually works out. You need to belong to Jesus so that you can truly uh, bear fruit that is pleasing to God. So you have died with Christ so that you have died to the law 
And now you belong to Christ, which means your primary identity, right, who you are, is no longer a person living under the law. It's now a person who belongs to Christ, who is in Christ. Now, practically, that means some things are going to be different and some things are going to be the same. Some things, some things more or less stay the same, right? Murder is still wrong. Honoring your parents is still right. You're not under the Ten Commandments anymore, but that doesn't mean that you're free to flout them, right? That's still wrong to murder, still right to honor your parents, still wrong to steal. But there are some things that change. Right? Circumcision was a big part of the law. That required of you as a Christian? No. What about observing the Sabbath? That was a big, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Are we required to observe the seventh day of the week and do no work? We're not. Now we're still required to meet with other Christians, gather for worship, right? That's what sort of the essence of the Sabbath was about. It was about worshiping God. That's still required. But we're not under the Sabbath law. We're not under the circumcision law. We're required to gather. We're required to uh, participate in baptism, which is in some ways similar to circumcision. But those things have changed. Right? We're not under the law as a system anymore. We are now in Christ, so we're not bound to every detail of the Old Testament law, though we will fulfill the law as we live our life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul means when he says, uh, we've died with Christ to the law in order that we might bear fruit for God. Because it didn't happen before, when we were under the law. Instead, what happened is verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So when you were under the law, and you were not in Christ, and you didn't have the Holy Spirit, all you had was this external law telling you, what God wanted you to do. When you were in that situation, what you're living in the flesh, right? Your old self has not been crucified, so you've got your sinful nature alive and active. You've got the law outside of you telling you what to do. What happens in that scenario? God says, "This is what I want you to do." And you say, "I don't want to do that." God says, "I want you to go this way." And you say, "I think I'm going the other way." When the law says no, or when the law says do this, and you don't have a new nature, and you don't have the Holy Spirit, and you're not connected to Jesus, you're just living in the flesh, the law stirs up the sinful passions, the sinful desires that are already in you, and aggravates them, right? so that we end up doing the exact opposite of what God tells us to do, which Paul says bears fruit for death. Because that's what sin always leads to. Sin always produces death. And as long as all we have is our own sinful nature, our own sinful flesh, and the law outside of us telling us what to do, we're not going to do what God wants us to do. We don't have the power to. We're not able to. We don't want to. And so the law uh, reveals our sin, Paul says in Romans 3.20. Uh, The law even came to increase the trespass, Paul says in Romans 5.20. And Paul's going to talk about later in chapter 7 how when the law comes, it stirs up sinful things in us that we didn't even know were there. 
Right? The law just does not have the power to change us, to transform us. We don't have the power in us, and the law can't give it to us uh, to make us obey. That's why we needed to die and be set free from the law so that in Christ we could bear the fruit that the law was designed to promote but didn't have the power to produce. So we've died with Christ. We're set free from the law so that we can bear fruit for God. And uh, how does this work? Verse 6. He says, but now... We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There's a lot in that one little verse, but let me point out just the first two words here at the beginning. But now. Those are powerful words in the Bible. If you've never experienced in your life a but now moment or season or transition. This is what the gospel produces. When when God convicts you of your sin and he shows you that Jesus is the only Savior and the Savior that you need, and you turn from your sin and you trust him, then God, as it were, writes over your life, but now. This is who you were. This is what you did. This is what you deserved. But now that you have turned to Christ and trusted in Him, you're a new creation, you have a new identity, you have a new life, your sins are forgiven, you're not who you were anymore. And not only are all of those things true, but Paul says, but now we are released from the law. Let that land on you with its full weight. I know that some of the ways I try to describe what this means, I think, I think it makes some of you nervous, right? When I talk about the fact that we're not under the Ten Commandments anymore, I think that makes some of you nervous. But I'm, I'm just trying to say what I think Paul is saying here, right? You are released from the law. The law is not your boss. The law is not your authority. The law is not who you answer to. You have been set free from the law because you have died to that which held you captive, namely the law. The law had you imprisoned. Paul talks about that in Galatians, uh, Galatians 3. Um, the law had you imprisoned until Christ came, until you trusted in Christ, but now you have been set free from the law. And now that you've been set free from the law, here's what that results in at the end of verse 6. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You now have in Christ the Holy Spirit living inside of you and the Holy Spirit is there within you to empower you to serve God in ways that you could not serve Him when you were trying to keep the law or living under the law. Again, the law was external. It was outside of you. It had no power to change you. It had no power to uh, transform you. It had no power to help you do what it required. It could just stand there and say, this is what you're supposed to do, but it could offer you no help. Now the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you 
And from inside of you, the Holy Spirit is able to um, change you, to transform you. He changes what you love. He changes what you want. He empowers you to do the things that God wants you to do. So now in the new covenant... Right, in the new age where we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us because of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, now we are able to bear fruit, to be loving and joyful and patient and kind and have peace and be gentle and exercise self-control. We're able to do all those things, not because we have learned some new facts or figured some things out, but because of what God has done for us in Christ And in the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're now new creations with new power, with new help, with God himself living inside of us so that we're able to serve. And by by the way, that word means to serve as a slave, which is what Paul was talking about all through chapter 6, that we are slaves of righteousness, slaves of God now, as opposed to being slaves of sin as we were before. Now we're able to serve in the new way of the Spirit. And so what Paul is saying here is that freedom, biblical freedom, is not merely freedom from, it's freedom to. We're accustomed to thinking of freedom mainly in terms of freedom from. If I have freedom, that means there's a list of things that I don't have to do. Well, that's part of it, right? That's one side of it. But biblical freedom also means There are a host of things that now you are free to do that before you were not able to do. You weren't able to live a life that was pleasing to God. You weren't able to fulfill the law. You weren't able to love your neighbor as yourself or love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And you still don't do those things perfectly. But now in Christ, you're able to do them in ways you were not able to do them before. So it seems uh, paradoxical. But you cannot begin to fulfill the law until you are out from under the law. You cannot begin to truly do the things the law requires until you are no longer under the law. Because it is only in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, that you can live a life of love. And as Jesus said and Paul said, the whole point of the whole law, all the law and the prophets, is love. Loving God and loving neighbor. That's how the, that's the, the sum of the whole Old Testament, is loving God and loving neighbor. And you couldn't do either of those things as God intended you to, as long as you were outside of Christ, as long as you were under the law, as long as your sinful nature was still alive and active and at work. You had to die. Not only so that your old self would die, but so that your uh, relationship to the law would die, so that you could become a new creation, belong to a new master, to Jesus, so that you could be under the new covenant, now having the Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you power to live a life of righteousness, joy, peace. The life that the law promised to but didn't have the power to give that God has now given in His Son by His Spirit. Let's pray.